bear that's the eardrums there with the yeah. intro. <laughs> he, he does. He's just quite partial to a little volume, isn't he? Just Loves with, it. Yeah. The knobs. This is the Icon Performance Health Podcast under the bar, brought to you by the Icon Performance Centre, based yes. out there at Artarman. Mate, we've got a big show coming up. Now, we the have. other positive feedback that we get on a regular basis is about yeah, Dan Garner's How good segment. is this guy? He's really, really good at what he does. Yeah, he is. So, he's going to talk about fats today. Okay. He did carbohydrates last week, protein mm. the week before that. Mm. This week, I wonder if fats, fats last are the least important or maybe they're the most important. Yeah, well, I guess it depends which way you're looking at it. Like mm. what he was saying about carbs last week. I mean, you and I refer to carbs as a... You know, C-bomb. Something mm. which is not necessarily essential for the body. Yeah. But from a performance perspective, he rates that as number two. So you have protein, and then from performance, you got to look at carbs. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, very interesting. Uh, and I love Dan's work, and um, I think you'll agree. Uh, and I certainly agree with Dan, and, and you'll attest to this, but, but certainly a little fuel in the tank, carbohydrate was in the bloodstream before you train. It does, most people, whether it be a, a nocebo or uh, mm. doesn't matter what the... Uh, if they train harder, they train harder, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure there's something physiologically which is going on as well, as, as Dan alluded to. So we'll talk to him uh, about fats today. Looking forward to that. Yep. Our special guest-wise, we've got Paul Carter is coming on the show. Yeah. We had a bit of an extended chat with him, so we might break this one up into Paul Carter parts one and two. Yep. Well, he's big enough. Yeah, he certainly is. You know. Although, not as big as he used to be. No, he's pretty svelte. He's been on the shred train. I think we're going to pass like ships in the night. His numbers are coming down and mine are going <laughs> yes. up. It's like... He has been on the shred train. So we're going to talk to him about his fat loss journey and about fat loss in general mm. because it's always an individualized process and he has to do things a certain way yeah. which may not necessarily have to be done for another person. Yeah. But he's going to break us, you know, talk us through some carb cycling, what sort of calories and macro splits he's used, yep. what he's done with his training. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very interesting, Rawdon, because you'll be surprised at how little he's actually eating for a man of his size. Yeah. And... Essentially, he's saying now that he's built so much muscle mass consistently over a long period of time that it's, it's actually very hard for him to lose muscle. His body is kind of locked into where it is, you know? Yeah, I think it's a little bit like the... I think uh, Poliquin talks about that, uh, resetting those body fat percentages. And and uh, you spoke about this. One of the regret, regrets you had was, uh, you know, doing the shoot that you did recently and then blowing yourself out to 9% or whatever it is. You know, if you had stayed around that 6% for an extended period, you'd just, you know, maintain exactly. that. But I think it's uh, similar for muscle mass. And, uh, and the reality is, you know, as much as from... Uh, most of us would think, wow, you know, we're an advanced trainer, we need so much protein and so many calories. The reality is, your body is so efficient at uh, doing what it does, it's done it for so long that you're right. And uh, to be honest, like, I, I, you know, some days I eat two meals, maybe three, mm. and my weight still holds steady, so it's not like all of a sudden I, uh, I drop a ton of muscle. So, completely agree with what. Um, what Carter was saying there. Yeah. Mate, we're going to touch base with the Battle of the Ectomorphs. Uh, yeah, an update from you. From, yeah, about... In the uh, trenches type in stuff. In the trenches stuff with Paulie. Uh, we spoke about him, I think, late last year on the program yep. and, and his training and, and, and a, you know, really stubborn ectomorph. But we've had quite a bit of success recently. I've seen the pics. Very and good. It, it's funny, mate, because we took the photos and they really belie what the scales and biosig are telling us. Like, if we didn't take those photos and compare what has happened from start to finish, we'd still be scratching our heads going... Gee, I only put on a kilo and a half of muscle over all this time, but it, it looks just vastly different. Yeah. And the approach we took from my perspective was, well, if we're not going to put on significant amounts of mass overall, perhaps we can bring up 
the upper body and yes. create the illusion of more size. Mm. So I'll mm. talk about the training methods Exciting, yeah. and using like a modified Frank Zane method with balling. So we can Looking talk about that, that and you can chip in with um, what you do to bring up body parts Yeah, my well. two cents. Yeah, definitely. If you'd like to email us, you certainly can. Icon, no, podcast at iconph.com.au. There you go. Yes. Okay. Now, Paulie, so as we discussed, a very stubborn ectomorph. So we're talking about your client, Paul. Yep. Training for a period of time. Like I was saying in the intro, mate, despite what Biosig has has said, Mm. um, and I guess this happens with an individual who remains very lean, Mm. it's just little bits of muscle mass here and there actually can make quite a difference to the overall physique. Yeah, 100%. But knowing that I wasn't going to be able to pack on heaps and heaps of mass with him it was uh, i took an approach well can we sort of shift things around the body to create even just an illusion of more size and for him that's having a bigger upper body and a bigger back and a bigger chest and shoulders we've had some good success with that and i'll maybe we'll get them to put the photos up on the facebook page so people can that'd be cool yeah i have seen the pics and they're quite impressive pics are impressive i would still like to dot some i's and cross some t's with paulie in terms of uh, i've mentioned a a comprehensive stool analysis just to check that everything's good with the gut and maybe even run some blood work and just check out the thyroid and see if that see there's no hyperthyroidism going on got a little uh gp i've been got the lab coat on there mate been uh, liaising with and he can run all of these tests and things would that be uh the vinny vinny hey vinny (laughs) my cousin vinny yeah but uh, aside from that, basically with Paulie, what we've done is I've taken a, a modified Frank Zane method. Okay, elaborate, mate. What's so, all that about? Frank Zane, back in the day, to bring up a body part, you, he would basically train it three days straight mm-hmm. with a variety of different rep ranges. So I've, I've put a little okay. spin on that. So for Paulie, the way the week looks for him, Monday he does advanced German volume training. Okay. So he's doing 10 sets of two to four with a, a deadlift and a 45 degree incline press. And okay. then he fluffs up a little circuit with bias, tries, and delts. Okay, it's a little bit of upper and lower. Tuesday, he goes to a heavy light where he's doing a superset for each muscle group, three mm-hmm. to five reps into eight to ten. Okay. Um, for his back, he's doing a wide grip pull-up for his three to five into a trap bar deadlift for eight to ten. Mm-hmm. Then he goes to his pressing, does a seated dumbbell shoulder press into an upright barbell row. Mm-hmm. Then he fluffs up the bias tries and the delts again. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, mm-hmm. he goes into a 6-6-12 tricep where he's doing a rack pull with a snatch grip into a T-bar row and a wide grip pull down for his 12. For his pressing, he does a seated barbell press into a 60-degree incline dumbbell press into a lateral raise. Okay. Uh, and then he fluffs up the bias tries and the rear delt with that so basically he's doing pulling incline pressing bias tries and delts three days straight and and, and you are prescribing the deadlift as a back exercise as a back a, exercise a, a, in that, that the program yeah, yeah cool yeah. yes chin ups and pulling are great for the back but nothing builds width and thickness I think across the whole lot of the back than just than doing heavy deadlifts well mate you're uh, you're completely right there one thing that <laughs> that, that I will say and I guess Paul doesn't have this issue because he doesn't have overpowering traps. But one of the things that you can get caught out with the head to disappear into the into the neck, <laughs> yes. you know, with, the, with these monstrous yeah. traps, and that's the only thing that uh, sort of comes with the territory with uh, with pulling. Um, but with Paul, it's not. I mean, he's got such a, f- a fine bone structure, and he's got quite a long, thin neck. And yeah, know, look, like he's he's very feminine yes. and uh, <laughs> you know, very uh, nicely uh, proportioned. But mm. yeah. 
you can get away with it with him 100%. But yeah. I'm just saying for our listener, they yeah. might go program a ton of deadlifts, but, uh, but that's one thing you want to look at. I mean, there's nothing like having your head disappear into your neck. <laughs> like but, you. Uh, yeah, yes. there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Traps are the new abs. You know, ask, uh, ask Carter, you know, come on later on the show. Okay, yeah. so three days in a row. So and what's the rest that. of the week? So he told me it was a four-day split, I think. Four-day split. So then he has okay. Thursday, Friday off. Mm-hmm. Then Saturday he does quads and hamstrings. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a bit of lower body. Prep, a bit of lower body. So I chose the Frank Zane method, A, because it worked around his schedule nicely because he's a okay. very busy PT. He's doing yep. 45 to 50 sessions a week. Wow. He only okay. really has time for four workouts. Yep. Some days he can train longer. Other days there are small windows. So with doing different workouts, I can train him longer for the 10 sets of two to four, heavy yep. lights, a short workout. So it yep. fitted into his schedule nicely. Mm-hmm. It enabled me to expose the body parts I want to a variety of stimulus so he gets mm-hmm. frequency for the upper body the arms and the delts sure uh, he gets a little bit of heavy lifting a little bit of volume so it's a nice blend of stimulus for growth variety of rep ranges um, sure. then he still gets enough rest he gets two days rest in a row and then he has sunday off as well so it's mm-hmm. not like he's overtrained, even though he is kind of overtraining. yeah and it enabled me to sort of mix up his nutrition a little bit and maybe keep his body guessing so on the monday with the the lower volume the the lower reps it's a high fat day just a little bit of carbs during his training and then post-workout. Yep. Tuesday, it's a moderate carb day for the heavy light. And then Wednesday, he's having carbs pre, intra, post, post, post. It's a, All it's the bells a high, high carb day. Uh, interesting. I, I guess the if you think about what the mediator uh, or one of the key things for hypertrophy is, and, and I think uh, one variable that uh, a lot of people don't quite get right is it is frequency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by, by doing the Frank Zane, you're obviously, uh, you know, your frequency is, is three times a week. Now, whether it be three times in a row or it was three times, you know, uh, a day of rest in between or two days on, one off, one on, one off, one on type thing. I think uh, the, the frequency is one of the reasons why you're getting some nice uh, progress there uh, for Paulie. Mm-hmm. Now, more so than, than perhaps it might have been a little bit more of a, a full body type uh uh, more evenly spread between upper and lower yep. in an attempt to well you know the lower body big big muscle group we've got to work those but you know and Paulie alluded to this this morning when I spoke to him so I spoke to him before we went to air mm. asked for his take on it he admitted to maybe being a little more diligent with his compliance and uh, you know and, and, and that old uh, conundrum you know that, that sort of you know I'm a firm believer in, in the, 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 the Differences in success between one and another, you know, that compliance does come into it. And even when they do studies, you know, so, uh, misreporting is, even when they cater, they actually have to cater for that. It's yes. like, okay, people are going to misreport anyway. That's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. So we've got to cater for that and, and various percentages when they give their, their answers for, mm. or they uh, comply to the nutrition design. But, and Paulie did admit to being a little more strict with that type of stuff. But, but yeah, he did feel it was like uh, more calories, uh, overtraining the body part. But, uh, the other really cool thing that, that you pointed out there, Tommy, was, um, and I get this all the time as well, and, and, and like you assess every, I don't know if you do it, uh, I certainly do it weekly with weekly a lot of mine. Weekly with Paul, yep. Yeah. But normally you wouldn't quite assess that frequently, but even yeah. weekly you're not going to see, you'll even see less change than what you would if it was uh, fortnightly or monthly. You know, you mm. see some significant change in the calipers usually. Mm. Weekly you might not get that change, but they, they might look vastly different. And, and it was great that you have the picks there, and obviously I encourage our listeners to do that. But the uh, the other things that I, uh, you know, when I, I did an email last night to a client that she dropped half a percent, and, uh, you know, she was a bit disappointed. It was two weeks, and she was doing it pretty, uh, you know, pretty uh, consistent. She's uber consistent and uh, dotting eyes, crossing T's, training hard. Half a percent, she was, uh, you know, dragging her heels, walking out. But I, 
I did sit down and point out to her, okay, look at the different methods that I have said from the start. How do we gauge progress? Like one is the uh, calipers, for sure. We'll see what's happening there. Another is how we're clothes fitting. Another is what are your friends saying? Another is, you know, what are your measurements saying? You know, they can take measurements, waist measurements, thigh measurements, those types of things. What do you look like in the mirror? What do you look like when you're training? Mm. I use all those to gauge progress before I even assess them. It's like, hey, man, how you feeling? What are you doing? What do you look like when you're, yeah, I'm getting great pump, getting striations coming through my shoulders, veins coming up. Great, fantastic. Sounds like you're progressing really well. Assess them, half a percent off. Uh, well, well, hold on. One Ten second seconds ago, ago they were feeling one way. how yeah. amazing you were feeling. So yeah. I really, as much as I love to use the calipers, and I, I think it's, if you're not assessing, you're guessing, all that type of stuff, I really do encourage the guys to use a variety of, even body weight, you know, track body weight as well. That's another thing that I get my guys to do religiously throughout the week. But I use all those things to gauge progress. And even, you know, a big influence is just the psychology. And like I just said then, how are they feeling, you know? Um, because okay, they might have only got half a percent, but their digestion's working better. There, and sometimes, you know, the changes and the, the the magic that you've created within the physiology of the individual will pay dividends in the coming weeks. You yep. know what I mean? Their her sleep at this point in time is much better. Digestion was working well. So as much as you want to click your fingers and bang, the fat falls off or bang, the muscle mass goes on. It's usually the period thereafter when we get all these things synergistically working. The harm, harm, harmony between training and recovery, that, that perfect balance of frequency, volume, and then you'll see the the, the gains come. And mm. more than anything, man, the the, the 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 big key driver is is a positive mind. As soon as they negativity sets in, yeah. guaranteed their results will all of a sudden come to a grinding halt. Mm. And whether it's self sabotage, whether they indirectly, you know, they might you know miss a meal here and there, they might not train at that same time every day. Just a little bit of being off plan, and then all of a sudden. You know that magic that you set up starts unwinding, and then the progress is much harder. They plateau, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But yeah, the psychology is is huge with uh, certainly what I do, and and with general pop as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that, mate. Hundred percent. Well, Rodan, I'm kind of glad that uh, Dan Garner's segments are sort of starting to wrap up because he's starting to take a little bit too much thunder away from what oh, you and no. I are doing here. We're looking very, we're yeah. looking very layman. Yeah, yeah. Reluctantly getting Dan Garner back mm. on to talk about mm. fats yes. this week on the Icon Performance Health Podcast under the bar. You can check him out. Facebook, Dan Garner, Strength Coach and Nutrition Specialist. And he's got an online certification coming out. Uh, really schmick online Mate. platform. I'll pencil that one in, Tom. De- Delivering all the goods, engineered nutrition systems. PDFs, the works. Dan, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, guys. Fats. So we've covered proteins. Uh, you were very controversial and said the next thing we should be doing, you know, looking at carbohydrates. Mm, mm. Um, but fats, as you mentioned, are one of these macronutrients that we do require. Essential fats. Yep. Essential from our nutrition. And they make food taste good, Tom. Yeah, all well, they do. Butter on butter. butter. Yeah. <laughs> well, first and foremost, butter is fantastic. Yes, yes. Butter, <laughs> peanut butter, make... you name it. Any sort of nut butter or actual yeah. butter. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's a great way to gain weight. I mean, yeah. fats are the most calorically dense foods per gram, right? You're getting nine calories per gram of fat as opposed to protein and carbohydrates, which are four calories per gram oh, of, yep. of uh, uh, food. And with fats, it's a great way to gain weight. I mean, one of the good things that helped me gain weight, because I naturally have a very small frame, was adding olive oil to my meals. I could barely taste it all. Adding a couple of olive oil to the big rice and chicken meals was a couple of tablespoons of olive oil was a great way to add a bunch of calories to the diet without really even noticing it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
What about uh, physiologically speaking, mate? What are what are the key things we're looking at? I mean, obviously it does everything pretty much, but uh, you want to rattle off some of the the, the fundamentals that uh, fats uh, are required for. Yeah, sure. Let's go through it. So when it comes to fats, they're also essential for survival. So proteins and fats, they're absolutely essential for survival, whereas carbohydrates aren't. Fats, we require them to do a lot of things within the body. They are there for hormone production and chemical messaging, um, leptin, adiponectin, testosterone, a lot of things, IGF-1, these things, a lot of these things are very closely correlated to fat content of the body, but also fat content in dietary intake as well. Okay. Um, it's, it's a very sensitive thing. If fats drop too low for too long, you can get a decrease in testosterone in men, and if fats drop too low for too long in women, you can run into some amenorrhea issues. So they'll miss their period every once in a while if fats come too low too long. And this is something that is telling of an unhealthy body. So making sure you get a proper spectrum of fats in every single day does a lot for your chemical messaging system, but definitely your endocrine system, which is your hormone system within the body. Mm-hmm. So I said in the last episode when it came to car- carbohydrates, uh, second most important nutrient compared to protein when it comes to fat loss or or performance. But when health is the main priority and not fat loss, performance, or muscle building, then proteins and fats are number one and number two. So when we're looking at importance in the diet, if it's body composition and performance related, protein and carbs, most important. When it's health related, protein and fats are most important. Mm -hmm. And Really, when it's, when it's health-related, you want fats to have a 30 to 40% total caloric intake in your diet. Okay. And I, I say it in a percentage because most, much of the research on fat intake has been done in percentages. And I gave uh, a recommendation for protein in grams per pound of body weight because that's how the research has been done on protein. Yep. So it's just different ways in which to represent caloric intake. but. Having a 30 to 40% intake of fat in your diet is important for a health-related goal. For most people, this can be kicking around anywhere from 0.4 to 0.5 grams per pound of body weight, or okay. let's say 1.1 grams per kilo for you guys. That's usually getting you pretty close to that ballpark. Okay. They can be dropped to as low as 10% of your intake for short periods of time, but they should habitually be above that set point. By short periods of time, I mean a month or less. I don't, I don't really, I don't see the need to drop it to that low, but it can be dropped that low without having severe consequences or hormonal issues arising. And from a timing perspective, uh, fats are best kept away from the workout, not because they do anything inherently bad, but because they don't do anything really good for it. We want quick absorption of protein and carbohydrates before, during, and after training. And fats slow digestion, so they're going to slow protein digestion, slow carbohydrate uptake, decrease insulin. They do a lot of things that just we don't typically want around the workout window. So if getting maximum response from your training is what you're after, then keeping fats low to zero around training is ideal. Okay. What about, uh, you said uh, slowing absorption slightly, and with the carbohydrates, you spoke about those longer 90-minute, two-hour workouts. 
In that, I know Mountain Dog, uh, and you would be familiar with John Meadows' work and acknowledge that he's one of the key players in the industry. Uh, he well, likes yeah. to have um, you know a little bit of fat, not much, 10 grams uh, with that pre-workout uh, meal, just for that very reason, I think, just to slow the absorption of the carbohydrates so you have nice uh, steady levels in the blood. Would, would you uh, agree with that one? Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I carefully chose my words there. I said low to zero. Yes. And he's his protocol, he's having one tablespoon of peanut butter usually. Yeah. That's low in my opinion. So yeah, that's sure. enough to stabilize blood sugars. What I'm talking about is having like a bunch of eggs or a bunch of yeah. olive oil or yep. a bunch of peanut butter with your yeah. pre-workout meal. Mm. That's something that's going to sit in your stomach before training. Yeah, yeah. I find, uh, yeah, for, for me especially, I, I you know, I've got to have multiple hours before you know, I uh, from when I consume food, and if yeah, it's a, yeah. a heavy meal, like I really, really, really detracts from what I do in the gym. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Um, Dan, earlier on, you mentioned the spectrum of fats. So, could you just go into a bit more detail there? Because uh, presumably, there's different kinds, and they all play a role within the body. Yes, for sure. So you have different kinds of fats in the body, your omega-3, 6, 9, saturates, polyunsaturates, trans fats. There's, there's a lot of good fats and the bad fat is typically only trans fat. Saturated fats shouldn't be seen as bad if they're in your proper balance. So if you're lean and healthy, if your only source of fat intake is saturated fat, then it can affect your insulin sensitivity in a negative manner. But that's something that shouldn't be surprising. Mm. So your your fat intake should actually majority come from avocados, olive oil, nuts, um, natural nut butters, raw nuts, these things. And I use these fats as prime examples as the research does suggest that the majority of your fat intake should be coming from monounsaturated fat sources. Yeah. This is going to be better for things like your state of inflammation along those lines. But having said that, polyunsaturates, which are going to be containing your omega-3s and the important EPA and DHA, which is found in the fish oil supplements or salmon or in walnuts, for example. Yep. The polyunsaturates and saturated fatty acids also should be in there as well. So saturated fats, they come in animal meat, organic butter and dairy, you know, the animal sources. Mm -hmm. And they all need to be in there. So the majority should be coming from monounsaturates, but to have optimal health, you do want fats from every category except trans fats, of course, within your diet. Right. But something that's important to point out that I want to make note of with the polyunsaturates and their omega-3 content is that you really need to get omega-3 from fish oil or fish because the conversion of omega-3 from plants inside the body is incredibly poor. Yeah. So even though you may see on a given plant or walnut, for example, that there is an omega-3 content, that sounds great and all, but the, the actual conversion and absorption at the end of the day is incredibly low. Right. So you do need to have it from a fish source. Okay. 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 All right, mate. So now back to the, the training aspect of things. You've mentioned to try and keep fats away from the actual workout period, but then over the course of the day, so say for example, we'll take you for example, you started spooning and drizzling the olive oil over your chicken and rice. Does eating... Whoa, carbs and fats together, Tom. Risky. Exactly. Are there any concerns <laughs> with having carbs and fats at the same time, or does that all come down to overall energy balance, or, what, or how do we manipulate it with the other macros? Okay, so it's kind of a multi-part answer. 
there. So carbon fat in the same meal is absolutely not a problem. That's a crazy myth that doesn't seem to go away. Um, energy balance dictates body weight, not the way in which you combine your foods. Yep. The reason why I said have fats away from the workout window was simply just to optimize carbohydrate and protein availability within the bloodstream yep. before, during, and after training because mm -hmm. you want hyperaminoacidemia, you want hyperinsulinemia, and you want a low GI distress environment while you're training. And you want a good hydration while you're training too. And protein, carbs, and having low GI distress, they all play towards performance, energy in the gym, and your hydration. Fats are going to slow this process. So it's not, it's not a bad thing if you had some fats. Like, for example, John Meadows, he does have fats pre-workout, and the yeah. guy's absolutely jacked and lean. <laughs> it's not a problem at all. Yeah. That, the problem is when you have a bunch of fats before, during, or after training. Yep. That's when you can, you're just, you're not doing anything necessarily bad. Nothing unhealthy would come of it, but you're not making the best of a scenario. And right. the listeners of this podcast, I'm sure, are all interested in getting the most from their training yes. and not a given percentage of it. And when it comes to carb and fat timing, it, it really does not matter at all, even way outside of the workout window. So the typical response that you'll hear is that you can't have carbs with fat in the same meals because carbs spike insulin right. and fat's already a fat so your body's not going to have to convert it and therefore it can just be stored. Yep. This is it's absolute science. nonsense. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's not science. Oh, sorry, burp science. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, no, it's nonsense because fats um, they well first of all they decrease insulin. Right. Second, energy balance regulates body weight, not the way in which you combine your foods. Yes. Third, uh, they typically promote protein with fats instead of carbs and fats. But protein spikes insulin too, so yeah, that doesn't yes. make any sense either. Yes. And then when you're having carbs and fats in the same meal, fats are taken up for the lymphatic system for up to three hours before they enter the bloodstream, which makes the combination theory absolutely pointless. Oh, I see. So if you have a mixed meal, glycogen will get into the bloodstream, but before the fats or any lipids end up in the bloodstream, it's going to be another three hours. Yeah, up to another three hours. There, It's, uh, it's not an issue to be thought about at all. What about uh, the caveat there is, uh, <clears throat> you know, your MCTs, your coconut oil, they're absorbed much quicker, yeah? Yes, they are. Okay. Yeah, well, that was a fascinating point I made. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thank you for your contribution. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> it's still, it still wouldn't matter. And okay, so, cool. and that's due to the actual the length of the chain and the fatty acid, right? Yes. Yeah. The digestion process that fats go through is vastly different than what carbohydrates go through, making the combination theory a uh, useless point. Okay, okay. So the carbs will they'll go, and then the fats will be a, a, a while before they end up in the bloodstream and theoretically in adipose tissue. Right. I mean, and the, just the fact that protein spikes insulin anyways, and that that's what they recommend you have fats with instead, just really, the whole thing is backwards. Okay, so right. in terms of muscle building, for instance, apart from actually increasing caloric intake through fats, do they play any specific role in the process of protein synthesis? Yes, they do. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thought you got away with that one, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, so fats, they're, they're going to play a role in the long run. Um, you, with In the research, you see linear increases in testosterone with higher fat intake. 
This is really important to care about because the more testosterone you have, the more myonuclei potential you have. And what myonuclei is in the body... That's you word can of the day. Of, yeah, yeah, continue. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. It makes me sound smart every now and then. <laughs> yeah, very but good. A myonuclei, it's really like your, your commander of muscle fibers around it. So a myonuclei can determine how many muscle fibers are allowed to be around it, per se. So how much muscle growth that you can have is dependent on myonuclei presence within the muscle. Okay. The more testosterone you have, the more myonuclei you have, which in turn is gonna enhance your potential for growth. This is one reason why anabolic steroid users have an advantage over natural athletes for their entire life. Because if you take in 500 milligrams of testosterone for a given period of time, you will have a lot more myonuclei than a natural athlete, and that myonuclei is not going to go away. That's going to be around to stay. But that's a, that's Very an good. important point to make there. Okay. But um, with linear fat increases do increase result in an increase in testosterone, and natural testosterone will play into body composition results both in the short and long term. Um, when it comes to fatty acids of different types, fish oil is anabolic to muscle tissue. Although since it's a cellular structural change, this can occur over months and you also may never even notice it because it's not like caffeine. If you take caffeine, if you take a gram of caffeine pre-workout, you're gonna Ooh. bounce off the walls. Yeah. If you take fish oil for breakfast, you're not gonna feel anything. Mm. It's just, it just has a ton of benefits for you. And one of them is in being anabolic to your muscle tissue. But since it actually changes the structure of your cell, which is gonna over time increase the sensitivity yeah. of your muscle cells to amino acids, uh. That okay. is something you're never actually going to feel, right. but like I said in the last episode, me and my biological twin, if I took a bunch of fish oil per day at an adequate dose, so say one teaspoon with breakfast per day every day, that is going to play into my results in the long term one year from now compared yeah. to somebody who is not doing that. Okay. So let's clarify there. What do you, what's, I know um, you've been in the industry for a while and there were some astronomical fish oil uh, recommendations that I did myself. And sure, uh, for an inflamed, obese uh, individual, there might be a ton of benefit by going quite high uh, in the fish oil. What, what are you recommending these days as a, you know, a reasonable intake of fish oil? There's really no reason to go above three to five grams per day. Yeah, mm. that's pretty much what I'm doing. Cool. Uh, one other thing uh, while we're uh, smashing uh, fats, um, that was fascinating the, the, what you went through just there, the fish oil being anabolic over time. But I think the take-home message there was that we should all be on 500 milligrams of testosterone a week <laughs> and the myonuclei will if increase. If you take one thing from this episode <laughs> yeah. today. I am going out the door. I'm going to hit the guys up in the gym. Of test e. Who can get some tests for me? Yeah, but what I was going to say, um, what about... Uh, is there an upper threshold of, of fat intake? Um, obviously, we set protein, boom, that's done. We set carbohydrates, and then if we're increasing calories for the individual to create a caloric surplus, do you have, uh, like, is the ceiling unlimited? Obviously, there's a point of diminished returns when we're increasing calories uh, above uh, theoretical baseline for the individual uh, and beyond nutrient partitioning is poor. It's more going to go to adipose tissue as opposed to building muscle. But uh, upper limit for fat intake or is the, the sky the limit? There's no real detrimental uh, effect by having, um, you, know, couple of, you know, up to for a big guy, a couple hundred grams of fat a day. 
Right, so no. If you're a big guy, a couple hundred grams of fat a day is fine. It's okay. dependent on your energy balance. So yes. where, you, where you run into issues with fat intake and where you run into issues with a lot of things, such as fructose and other components as well, okay. is if you're in a hypercaloric state. So no, there's no, say, ceiling speaking from a gram perspective when it comes to fat intake, yep. especially when you're keeping everything balanced. But it, there would be a ceiling, and like you said, a point of diminishing returns once you enter a, hypo, a hypercaloric state and you're just getting overweight at that point in time. Because we know within the research, very well documented, being overweight results in a lot of poor things on the body. Mm, and yes. that's a quick way to do it. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Okay, cool. Okay. So that uh, comes back to that uh, energy balance and keeping that in check. But in regards to a specific macronutrient, if everything else is in balance, uh, you know, you, you sky's the limit with fat, so to speak. Exactly. Yep. Perfect. Okay, well, uh, I'm happy with that fat-wise. Yep. Rawdon, you're happy to square that one away? Mate, that was good. Some real, really good content in that one, Dan. <laughs> I love it. Okay, there he is, Dan Garner, once again, mate. Thank you so much. You can find him on Facebook, Dan Garner, Strength Coach and Nutrition Specialist, and uh, keep an eye out for the online certification coming out later in the year. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Well, there he was, Dan Garner, talking about fats. Fats. Yeah, he does Get into them. Very good job with that. Now, uh, we've got Paul Carter, part one, yeah. coming up, Rawdon. And what big we might fella. just do is just chuck this one out to the listener. Paul Carter and Christian Tippy-Toes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Going a little bit of back and forth behind the scenes. To and fro. To yep. get those guys out to Australia to do some sort of tour, a bit of a... Yeah, seminar series. Seminar series, workshop. Yep, what we're, where we're at at this point in time, Tommy, is more of a uh, spoken word, uh, theory, uh, lecturing type thing with yep. some practical component where we'll put what the um, attendees learn into practice, but it won't be like a specific hypertrophy camp. So no. for our listeners, uh, much like myself, that, that don't want to go and, and train the house down for multiple days, this is, it, it, fantastic as that is, I've been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, for our listeners, the, 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 rather the content and the, the intellect that these guys have, hypertrophy strength training and all of the above that's what it'll be more uh in line with so around may we're, we're we're hoping to have those guys out here yes come out through the icon umbrella and um really set the benchmark for a uh, a seminar series and so open the doors to other big names in the industry to come out uh, through icon as well very yeah. exciting but we'd like to sort of do things a little bit differently yep rawdon i mean one of the things you know you and i sort of sat down and had a bit of a brainstorm about what makes a good learning experience yep and certainly that content side of things yes. and having a actually coming away with a you know a big stack of notes or a folder yep. which is filled with practical things you can go away and start applying to your clients or to sure. your business yep yeah yeah so looking forward to that we keep you guys updated on it but uh, around about may this year that should be happening very good righto under the bar the icon podcast with rawdon and tom now, mate, as we mentioned at the top of the program, a lovely guest contribution from Big name in the industry, mate. Paul Carter today. If you've been living on another planet and don't know of Paul, you can go to lift-run-bang.com yep. uh, to find out about Paul and what he does. And in fact, actually, his, his latest blog post titled The Complexities of Advancement in Regards to Training and Dietary Practices, mm. it's actually, for all of the writing that he's done, that's a pretty good summary about kind of where he sits 
in the middle of science and in the trenches yeah. experience, you know? Yeah, like he will tell it the way it is. But uh, from my experience uh, following Paul's work is, you know, he exists in a world where he liaises with a lot of science-based guys, but then also, you know, those guys that do embrace science, but then also really what works in the trenches, like the John Meadowses and the uh, Milo Sanchez. I know John's a good, good friend of Paul's and... Um, yeah, and uh, I think you really can't discount uh, when in the trenches it, it works exceptionally well. And, okay, the studies might not prove it at this point in time, but you can't disregard what uh, results mm. uh, these, these guys are doing in the industry. Well, let's get him on. Paul, thanks once again for your time, and welcome back to the podcast, mate. Thanks for having me get back, guys. I appreciate it. Excellent. Now, to get a start, we, 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 we're <laughs> trying to get some clarification on this, Paul, on the, the uh, lift, run, bang. My uh, assumption was that, uh, you know, I've seen you lift some pretty heavy weights. Yep. I don't know how much running you do. None. And I'm pretty sure... Oh, that's you... not, uh, <laughs> not true. I just got done doing intervals a couple of hours ago. Is oh, that right? Okay. okay. And banging. Well, uh, my assumption was, yeah. that, you know, you're a bit of a ladies' man, and that's yeah. what the whole lift, run, bang philosophy was about, but mm, uh, mm. maybe not the case. Hold on. Who said I was a ladies' man? What is, what is that? <laughs> hey, oh. man, I've, I've hung out with you for a couple of th- for a few days when you're in Sydney. You're a ladies' man. Yeah, no one's safe. I am not no a one's safe. <laughs> that is a myth. <laughs> that is a myth. Uh-huh. Uh, no, yeah, lift from bang. It's uh, the bang part is indeed about um, uh, banging ladies. Yes. Oh, it is. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Got you again, Tom. <laughs> no, so lift. Basically, and I've gone over this a few times with people. Obviously, lift, condition, whatever condition you want to do. And the bang part, um, I was actually a, a computer engineer for 15 years, and it's what I would call a variable in computer coding. And a variable means it could be anything. It could mean uh, football or martial arts or bodybuilding or powerlifting or whatever it is, whatever that you're doing to train towards. Where it's kind of like uh, it's whatever it is you want to apply there at that point. Uh-huh. So. Kind of what it was, but it, it, if you want to, if you want to lift and do conditioning, so that way you can get hot chicks, it can mean that too. Wow, yeah, right. it's interesting because I know, uh, and I mentioned John at the start of the show, and in one of your uh, good mates, um, he actually came from the corporate world as well, wasn't he? Uh, in he was finance? a banker. He, yeah. in a bank. he was a banker. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Amazing. Paul, I guess you're uh, very honest and open with uh, a lot of the <clears> writing that you do online, and we were just wondering. It's fairly early in the new year. Uh, looking back on things, yeah, there was any, you know, Rod and I were talking about some of our mistakes, I guess, and whether there was anything that you did last year, maybe with a client or, or with your business, that you kind of regret and uh, wish that you might have done differently. Um, <clears throat> for 2015, actually, probably this this might have been the the best year of training and nutrition that I've had in a long time. To be honest. Yeah. Okay. The uh, the only thing obviously that happened to me, I tore my pec one day, uh, and I've never had a problem with my with my pecs or anything. I was actually doing dips, and it was the last set of the entire workout, and I had I was doing weighted dips with 135 pounds, and I'd already done like a set of 20, and I was doing my last set of, of 15 to 20 with it, and it was like the first rep, the last set, and it just went. But other than that. Um, I haven't. I really haven't had anything in my own training. Like this is like I said, this has been the best year of training and dieting. I started probably a year ago that I wanted to. I wanted to really get back in, in good shape. And when I say good shape, get my body fat low again and get back to where I can do conditioning again. Kind of put maximal strength on the back burner for a while and focus more on body recomposition. And I've mm-hmm. had a really great year, and so I've had. 
probably the best year in quite some time. Um, okay. Client-wise, yeah. I had a great year too, obviously. Um, Fred Smalls, who's an IFBB pro. Yeah. I, I started training Freddie about a year and a half ago, and we, uh, 2015, we got him to his very first uh, pro win uh, yeah. in the IFBB, so that was a really big deal for both of us. Yeah, he looked phenomenal, uh, by the way. Mm. Yeah, I took, uh, in, in the year plus that I've been working with Freddie, the, the contest that he did before he started training with me was 217 pounds, and when he won in Dallas, he was 240. So, uh, and, and let's tell our listener also, he's not the youngest guy in the uh, pro ranks either, is he? No, he's 40 now, and that was one yeah. of the, the goals that he had was to win a pro show before he turned 40, and he was <laughs> uh, a few months out from his birthday when he won, when he won awesome, the Dallas Oh, that's awesome. Show. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And anyone that knows Freddie, he, he's quite a, uh, or has seen Freddie, he's quite uh, charismatic on stage as well. He puts on a good show. Yeah, he, he likes to dance. I give him a lot of shit about that, actually. <laughs> well, he's a black man. Of course he dances. Yeah. <laughs> but funny about that, he's a, he's a black guy with no glutes. And, and we, uh, we always we used to have fun about that because I'm like, yeah, how can you be the only black guy on the planet with ass? Because so, you know, we've had to put a lot of time and work into yeah. like, bringing his boots up. And I'm like, how is this possible? He's yeah. the only only black guy I've ever met that's got no no butt. So <laughs> funny. All right. Well, uh, if there's no real big uh, big regrets for the year, why don't we? In talking about your own personal journey, why don't yes. we we delve into that, mate? Because that was one of the other things that Tom and I uh, wanted to talk to you about. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of our listeners uh, are coaches and they work with uh, tons of different clientele. But uh, I think it's always uh, encouraging. And I think, you know, as coaches, we should sort of practice what we, we, we preach generally from time to time. And if you're, you know, the head of a company, you should be looking a certain way and, uh, you know, be able to, to, to walk the talk. Yeah. And um, you certainly did that on yourself. Uh, I think it was a, uh, was it an 18-month journey, mate? When did you uh, flick the switch to try and improve body comp and, and talk us through it? Gosh, I want to say it was... Um um, so I don't know that it's been quite a full year. I mean, I started shifting gears a little bit before I got there because I was um, I was right about 290 pounds at one point, and um, I really wasn't any stronger, say 290, than I was at 270 or even 265 around that range. And I think I was probably around 265 pounds when I was out there when yeah. I was in Australia. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I remember you and I we were chatting and you jumped on the scales and saw what your weight was and and that sort of stuff. And um, for our listeners in Aussie land, that's you know up around 135 kilos, you know pushing uh, 140 there at uh, 290 plus. Mm. So heavy, heavy. But you still yeah. looked uh, quite formidable when you were here. So what you were about uh, 255, were you? Uh, actually, I think I was. <laughs> that's a funny story. So my weight kept climbing for the whole month I was there, and it kept climbing and it kept climbing. And I think when I got there, I was 255, and I hit over 270 while I was there. So here's a funny story. So I get to Perth uh, with Ed Cohen, or you know Eddie and I did our the first seminar out there. Yeah. And you motherfuckers have you know <laughs> your French fries. You know you guys call them chips. Mm-hmm. You know we call them French fries here, and they're you know they're fucking delicious, and I don't even mm. like them here. Mm. And over there, they're magnificent. So I'm eating like every meal, and we're, we're sitting there at lunch. And uh, and Eddie and I, Eddie's one of my best friends, and but we we fuck with each other all the time. He looks at me, he goes, he goes, you see, see, he goes, that's why you're turning into that fat son of a bitch. You're eating fucking fries every goddamn meal, you fat piece of shit. And so 
I actually quit eating french fries that after that meal just because of Eddie harassing me so much about it. But uh, <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, I got over there and I was trying to do a good job at first because uh, I remember you had gotten me prepared meals. I was just eating the prepared meals. But then mm. once I started traveling around, I was like, fuck, these french fries are amazing. And I started <laughs> eating this living shit out of them. Mm. So uh, they, uh, they definitely will pack on the pounds. But I think also just... Um, and I find this when I travel, I tend to gain a lot of water weight. But if I'm gone for a couple of weeks, I get kind of bloated. I don't know why. Like some people lose weight. Like I know when I talk to Christian Thibodeau, Christian, when he travels, he actually loses a lot of weight, and I actually gain a lot of weight. So I think yeah. it's different for everybody, and I'm not sure of the reason. So what are you weighing at now, Paul? I'm at about 244, between 244 and like 247 pounds. Okay. Okay. So um, at one point I was down to as low as like 233 pounds. Okay. Uh, but actually leaner now at 243 than I was at 233. I'm right at about probably seven or eight percent body fat at right at this weight. So yeah, yeah I've seen it, the pics. You got the abs there, look, looking looking real smink, mate. What? I mean, what do like? Okay, so you were sort of starting the journey when you were here on tour with uh, with Eddie. Like, it is a is it subtle for you? Do you do you aggressively sort of nutritionally program? Do you got to count calories? Like, what, what do you what actually do? Yeah, yeah, what was the method to the madness, mate? Okay, so there honestly there were three different dieting phases that I went through. And the first one, I started working with my friend uh, Trevor Cash, who was like a genius. So I want to give a shout out to Trevor. Trevor was a really big. Um, he was a big motivational factor uh, going into it. Because Trevor was like, basically, he's like, Paul, you're just, you're fat, okay? He's like, you're fat. I'm like, <laughs> all right, fine. And so he's like, you know, he's like, but I want to, he goes, I want to see you get healthy. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I do too. And that was another part. He's like, I'm going to be 41 in a few weeks. And I wanted to really actually start taking my health. And people talk about that shit all the time. And then yeah. he change it and I wanted to, to start actually considering my health yep. I have uh, three three girls and I'm like you know I need to take my health you know more seriously and quit worrying about you know how much I'm squatting or wrenching all the time and that sort of shit so the first phase of my dieting actually was pretty much like a no carb diet uh, but it wasn't like uh, I was still eating a lot I was eating more calories than usual yep and it was uh, use a lot of sodium actually, and that kept me very full because a lot of people, when they go low carb, the first thing they're complaining about is how flat they get. Okay. But you actually up your sodium, you'll you'll stay pretty full. Okay. So a lot of people don't realize that. So it was we added more sodium to the diet. It was basically the uh, diet was a lot of like chicken and peanuts. I remember at first it was like a, sh- a shit ton of chicken and peanuts. But we were just eating chicken and peanuts and whole eggs is pretty much all I ate for a while and uh, what about, that got me down, that got me down for a while go ahead what about uh, with being low carb the training drive for you because I know obviously uh, training a big part of your world was that still uh, performance still good in the gym never I never noticed any difference honestly the the way that I've done body recomp because I do it really slowly um, I haven't, um, I haven't, I didn't really notice every once in a while, you know, you'll notice a little bit of dips here and there, but they're, they were pretty infrequent, uh, until I tore my pec, I, I close grip benched, uh, the easiest, probably 455 of my life, um, right. probably could have done a triple with a pretty easy, and I, I was about 240, so I, was, I weighed even less than than I do now, mm, Okay. and I pulled, uh, I deadlifted 585 for two sets of two sets of triples this week after all my other back work, 
Yeah. You guys can convert that in kilos. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. I think I did though. Two sixty-five or around about that. Two sixty-five yeah, kilos. Yeah, and I pulled out for two sets of really easy triples. Like it felt like yeah. you know the first set I I contemplated going even to six thirty-five double, yeah. but I was like just too small. Yeah. And that's after all my back work, and it's so but getting back to the eating part. After I never really suffered like a performance like hit like people talk about, and I, I think the other part of it that was. Um, Keeping the sodium high, I never felt flat. I always felt pretty full. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, I ended up running. I wanted to get Trevor and I introduced carbs back into the diet, so we managed the macros a bit. Okay. And I did more of like a carb cycling type approach, but not this crazy shit where it's like, um, like one day you eat like eight grams of carbs, and the next day you eat eighty-four thousand grams of carbs. Okay. Like, like I didn't want it to be. I wanted every day to be. Hmm. So it was more we pushed all the cars around pre-workout, during workout, and post-workout, and then there were pretty much no carbs the rest of the day. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's and, that. yeah, I construct a lot of my programs like that. It seems to work well. It does work well. Sorry, Paul, just going back to the, the first phase. So when you were on the low-carb and the high-sodium approach, how long were you running that system for? I don't know how many months I ended up running that for. It was for a good little while. I don't. I don't tend to do like short-term stuff. So it was, okay. it was quite two, a good, two, quite a good months. So two, two, three months. two or three months. And were yeah, you, at least were, two or three months. Were you actually monitoring the the calories? Like you said, the calories were still quite high, but obviously you would have had to have been in some sort of deficit. Did you keep an eye on that, or were you just going by feel? No, no. I think we started out at around thirty-eight hundred calories, which is high. And a lot of people go like, oh my God, that's not that much. But for me, it is. Like, I, I'm not one of those guys that can, I mean, I've had this argument with people. It's going to vary from person to person. Yeah. Uh, and I had the same conversation, um, is that once you establish a certain level, like that foundation of muscle mass underneath you, it doesn't take a lot of calories to actually sustain it if you're training or just to maintain whatever mass you build is. People always look at you and think it's like, man, you must eat a ton of food. And I'm like, I really don't eat that much anymore. That's, that's yeah. interesting you say that. And um, Menno Henselman, you, you might uh, know of Menno, uh, he sort of one of his things is, um, and other people say in the industry, but the, the more advanced you get, you actually need a lot less calories because you so uh, you break so little muscle tissue down and you're so efficient at uh, m muscle protein synthesis you can actually get away that's with absolutely the truth in fact I was at an uh, MSAA conference um, months ago and they talked about the fact that actually when beginners start training and they have proven that um, they actually a beginner has very inefficient ability to process protein to have to basically break down protein to use it for muscle protein synthesis it's actually it's very poor. Like yep. it's something that's acquired and developed by the body over time as, as muscle grows and through training and stuff. Mm. So yeah, now I find that I um, and I talk to a lot of guys. Like I talked to Mike Geeks uh, in bodybuilding this past week, and he's trying to get down. He's like he said he finds it almost impossible to lose his muscle, and he's about 235 pounds. He's trying to get down to 220, and he's like his his protein is 150 grams a day. So who's that, it, John? No, 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 no. It's my uh, another buddy of mine. Um, I ah. think Edward. Okay, cool. And um, and he said the same thing. He's like, you just once you get a certain to a certain level, you just don't like. It's like you said, your body becomes far more efficient at maintaining it. I mean, it takes yeah. a while to get there, but 
Yeah. I don't. I really don't eat a lot of food anymore. People are surprised at how little I eat. Yeah, like 41 years of, uh, I reckon you would have started when you were pretty young, mate. I reckon you'd have some uh, decent muscle maturity there, mm. training hard in the yeah. trenches. More like muscle senior citizenship. <laughs> you and me both, mate. What about uh, supplementation, mate? Uh, uh, from what I know, you're not huge on supplementation, but uh, basics in there, creatine or anything else, amino acids, or you keep things pretty simple? No, I actually, you know, I got sponsored by True Nutrition, and they have a product called um, Muscle Intrusion, and it's it's um, uh, highly branched cyclodextrin and yeah. uh, essential amino acids, and I swear to God, it is, it, it's like one of the best supplements I've ever used in my life, and I you know, people know I'm not a big, like you said, I'm not a big supplement guy. So if I'm telling you that it absolutely really fucking works. And I noticed when I started taking it, I could just train and train and yeah. train and train. And I didn't get tired. And sometimes yeah. I got to where I would just leave the gym out of boredom after a while. And I would train. <laughs> well, that's awesome. As hard as, as hard as possible for like two hours. And yeah. I would just be like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go home now because I just, I'm just bored of training. <laughs> I know John uh, raves about, I think his um, intra workout, the MD has mm-hmm. the uh, the highly branched cyclic dextrin. We've mentioned that on the podcast before. Yes. Also called cluster dextrose, but the you know, yes. nice steady blood sugar levels. Uh, so you vouch for that uh, good product, huh? Oh my God, yeah. Like it, it's and, and the way the true nutrition it is, they just put the essential amino acids in yep. it, yep. which I personally think are better than branch chain. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just makes it, it gets through your gut so fast and yes. into the yep. bloodstream so quickly that the energy is just like right there. Awesome. So it just it doesn't sit in your stomach like I've heard people say like oh you like Gatorade and like whey and like that's like a really poor fucking combination because yeah. it's just gonna sit in your gut and take forever to get into your bloodstream. So okay, yeah, it made a huge difference. Absolutely. All right. So let's go back to, to phase two then, Paul. So you had a few months low carb, high sodium. Then you went into your little variation of carb cycling. That was phase two, yeah. So what were the details of that phase? Actually, I would it, it pretty much the only thing that changed was, um, like I said, I would have carbs pretty much during the workout. I don't even know if I had them before, but I would I would have the muscle injuries while I was training, and then I would have like a carb meal post-workout. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I would like I would have some more carbs in the, the meal after that, so it'd be like okay, I would go in and train and have muscle intrusions so those are carbs, and then I come home and I'd eat cocoa pebbles, and <laughs> that would that would be my post workout meal. And um, everybody knew I was bigger than cocoa pebbles, fucking mm-hmm. loved eating the shit out of cocoa pebbles. So I'd eat cocoa pebbles, and then two hours later I would have maybe something like. 50 grams of carbs for jazz and rice, but that would be all the carbs. And the rest of the diet was similar, but we dropped some of the fats, obviously, and okay. replaced some of the macros. Okay. So that was kind of phase two. So right. phase two, carb cycling, but also a calorie reduction from where you were in phase one as well? Like a, it was, a it was, if there was, if there was, it was yeah. only very slight. Here's what actually happened. I did not really do like a huge calorie reduction and never have. Okay. Um, I increased my training frequency. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Okay, yep. okay. so you increased I, energy I expenditure. Yeah, I didn't want to do this thing. I think a lot of guys don't get that. And it's, um, it, I didn't do this thing where I, I kept lowering calories and lowering calories where you're just tired as fuck all the time and can't train very hard. I yep. just started training more. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. okay, cool. So training frequency up. And then probably another three months or thereabouts in phase two? It was a, That one was a little more short-lived. 
Well, yeah, maybe two months, three months, two months. until I get to where I'm at right now. Okay, so phase three. Or is that where you are now, mate? That's where you, you're yeah, in that's there. That's where I'm at right now. Honestly, I've seen more progress, faster progress from this, this particular diet change than the other two by a pretty significant margin. Okay. okay. What's the secret? So the secret is I was, um, and, and I've already had these arguments with people, but um, I said, you know, I, whether or not science supports whatever, and kind of like you talked about earlier, yeah. this did work for me. I switched all my carbs to low glycemic carbs. Okay. And, and I dropped my fat to only about 8 to 10% of my total dietary uh, intake each day. Yeah. And so I and then I took my carbs to like forty five percent and my protein to about forty five percent and then okay. fats only made up like ten roughly around ten percent. And so there's not a lot of fat coming in. It was kinda like, you know, old school bodybuilder eighty yeah, yeah, nine. Yeah. Love it. Um what do I see the carbs? I mean, a lot of carbs and it's weird to eat that many carbs each day and then watch fat just start melting off. I was like, Holy shit. So I just switched all. Everything was uh, basically oatmeal, sweet potatoes, uh, brown rice, um, and you know bananas and apples, and that was it. Were you still having and the uh, the intra then as well, mate? I would have it. And here's the difference: is I would still have the intra. So the only time my my insulin would get spiked would be during workout when I had the intra coming in. And then I would still have my post-workout, but I did change from, now everybody's going to laugh at this, but I did change from Cocoa Pebbles to Rice Checks, and I don't even know if you motherfuckers have Rice Checks over there, but... Yeah, I'm familiar with them, yeah. Yeah, so I started actually researching, because I do 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 a lot of research, so I started researching glycemic indexes on cereals and Rice Checks was like 87, so it was one of the highest glycemic indexes for cereal. And not only that, but when I look on the ingredients, there's only like four things in it. It's like wow. actual, like just like rice, and like a couple of other things. Whereas the, when you look on the back of Cocoa Pebbles, it looks like what you would, all the ingredients you would make to make like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I was like, well, this sounds better because at least, you know, I'm just, you know, I do look at that stuff. I think the fewer ingredients that yeah. a quote processed food has in it, 100%. probably the better it is for you. So, Definitely. and then I switched. I took, uh, I was drinking milk with my cereal. And I actually eliminated all dairy, so I had no. I, I switched over and started using almond milk, and which if you get like the dark chocolate almond milk, that stuff is just Ooh. amazing. So, so let me just uh, clarify for our listener here. You were, now correct me if I'm wrong, Paul. You were still having uh, gluten. I don't. Yeah, I, th- I thought at this point that we had thoroughly debunked the fact that there's no such thing as uh, gluten problems unless you suffer from celiac disease. Um, I think what it comes back to is what you're on there, and um, that it come, all comes back to inflammation. So yeah. if if you, I think it, rather than looking at the gluten part of it, you look at the inflammation part of it. So for especially a lot of people do tend to have inflammation increases in things like uh, dairy or like wheat. Yep. But I didn't really. The only thing I found I did have to make a few, few changes because. If you go to low glycemic index carbs across the board, one thing you can have a problem with is a lot of um, some digestive issues because everything is so slow to get to get to the gut, right? Mm, because yeah. I mean, if you have something quick that can quickly pass through the gut, obviously your pancreas is going to secrete a lot of insulin. You know, mm. if the carbs get to the gut very fast. 
The slower that it digests, obviously, the less it's going to get released, and that's the whole point of it. Yeah. The problem is, if you start to stack, once you start stacking all of those low glycemic carbs on top of each other, after a while they can all just start sitting in your gut. And I did start finding I was really bloated and distended sometimes, so okay. I actually did end up dropping out the sweet potatoes. Yeah. And I found that sweet potatoes did give me quite quite a bit of problems, believe it on the balls of things. It wasn't oatmeal and it wasn't uh, brown rice or anything, but sweet potatoes actually caused me quite a bit of blood. Okay. A ton of fiber in the sweet potatoes. If you have any volume, you know, you're getting a, a huge amount of fiber as mm. well. So maybe the, the fiber was causing a bit of a I would blue. tell you a way around it that works. Is if you don't buy regular sweet potatoes, we'll get the baby food sweet potatoes at a good puree. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let me. We got rice krispies, pebbles. Paul uh, Carter walking through the supermarket <laughs> taking baby food off the shelf. Mate, you just buy like a hundred of those things. Yeah, I actually have a funny story about that. So I was at the store and I had this cart loaded up with baby sweet potatoes, like these packages over here. Yeah. And I've got literally like I don't know, it might be a hundred of them. So I, I'm racking them all up there, and the <laughs> the one behind the counter goes. Somebody's got a little baby at home that loves sweet potatoes, and I go, "Yep." And she goes, "She goes, how old's your baby?" I said, "41." <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. All so, right. So, Paul, I'm curious. Obviously, you, you've spent a length of time, you know, 12 to 18 months on this process. So, for you, this is a, a long-term life change. So, do you feel now that the the length of time you've taken for your body to actually adapt to living with lower body fat levels is now? your set there this is this is Paul Carter reset I'm now a, a leaner human being moving forward yeah I mean I, I won't ever uh, you know if anything uh, over the years I'll probably get smaller yeah. and so um, like I said it's more of a health change um, I don't have this thing where I'm like I'm, I, I mean I, I may compete in powerlifting again maybe one more time but uh, I really like how I feel right now, like I, I can go do 50 sprints with very minimal rest between sets and then I can still go pull. Like if I'm, if I'm trying to figure out if I'm fatigued from doing all my back work and I'm still pulling 585 for two sets of three, that means my deadlift is like, on a fresh day, probably really close to 700. Mm-hmm. So um, that means my strength is still good. Yep. So. I mean, it, I don't have a thing anymore where I'm chasing these big numbers right yeah. now. Kind of just, I'm, I'm kind of looking at, okay, what, what is more sustainable for me from a lifelong perspective? Yeah, yeah. Wise words. And along the process, Paul. Now, are there any systems that you have, what you've just described to us now, that you start implementing with your own clientele? Has it changed the way you, you look at getting someone in shape? Yeah, and that was a, but I already knew that. So a big part of it that. Because I try to be a guy who walks the walk and I just talk, talk to him. If I have something I'm doing with my clients, 99% of the time it's something I've already done yeah. with myself. I don't, good. I don't, I don't like guys who are like, yeah, here's a method. Let, let me put it on my client. I'm like, no, why don't you try it first? Yeah, you know, because I mean, then you can speak firsthand about it. So I mean, yeah, that happens. Um, one is I tend to increase training. Um, Frequency and training volume, and yeah. and really drop the amount of weight on the bar a lot. Okay. And something that I really started to study, and that I'm going to be touching on in a future Team Nation article, is about um, the activation and recovery for stuff like the sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system. 
Right. So the more the more often in training, the heavier you go, the more often you have to kick in that sympathetic nervous system, that flight or fight response. Yep. Where you have to really get up for your set. Okay. So you have to mentally psych up. You have to prepare yourself. Yep. The more often that you have to do this in training, the longer the recovery curve becomes for the, for the parasympathetic nervous system, which is your relaxation nervous system that helps you get back to okay I'm relaxed and everything's you know that's your recovery that's your recovery nervous system mm, yep so the more often you have to tap into that sympathetic nervous system over and over again you think about it think about if you were you left the house and you were getting in street fights all fucking day <laughs> right every time you have to turn that on yeah, yeah so what I call it is I call it workout hangover I know you, if you guys think about it, you know what I'm talking about where you're going in you had that one day where you man you Everything feels light. You're yeah. heavy. You get psyched up all day, and you just have one of those awesome kick-ass sessions mm-hmm. where you drag yourself out of the gym. But then for the next three days, you feel destroyed, like overall. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like soreness. I mean like you're just so exhausted. Mm-hmm. Bit of a, like a give and a take. You know, whatever you get, you pay the price. Mm-hmm. So you have to well, find the right we balance. Have, we have so much information now mm-hmm. on the fact that you don't. Number one, you don't have to lift exceptionally heavy loads to get very strong. Um, the majority of the, the great Russian periodization training systems, the majority of their um, their volumized training sequences are only used between like 68 and 70 72% of your one rep max. So they spend mm-hmm. a, a huge portion of the year when they do their volume work training pretty light. And then for bodybuilding purposes, it's kind of the same thing that you know you need to get enough work done. Um, Christian just touched on an article lately that talked about uh, you could use as little as 30% of your one rep max. And as long as you took the set to failure, the degree of hypertrophy that was seen uh, was the same as if you took 80% of your one rep max to failure. Now, nobody wants to take 30% of their one rep max to failure. That, that's going to be all fucking vague. Yeah. yeah. So you find that middle ground mm. where you don't have to get psyched up for your set so much so you're not tapping into that sympathetic nervous system and you don't have that systemic fatigue that yes. you end up having them going heavy all the time and you use more moderate weights with a lot of, and you create a lot of tension and yeah. then there's where your growth is going to come from. That's interesting, mate, because linear progression over time, you know, lifting at that uh, 85, 95% of your 1RM, the actual... Uh, if hypertrophy is the name of the game, let's not talk about strength. But for hypertrophy, it's uh, you know diminished returns. You know, the heavier and heavier you get, you, you don't keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's just that's, you know, you that's become... actually the word. Yeah, you know, I, that's a very key word. It's a, there's a point of diminishing returns. Yeah. So once you get to where you're squatting, say, 650 or 700 or whatever, chasing 25 more pounds on your squat or 30 more yeah. pounds on your squat at that point. There's not gonna. It's gonna take a long time and a lot of effort, and the, the what you're gonna get back in return of growth is not gonna be very much. Exactly. So, exactly. Whereas if you you can back way off, if, if you train when we already see, we know anecdotally we've seen this, and we've seen it through studies that the more often you train, the more hypertrophy you're gonna end up with. Yeah. So, but you and I. So I have a really easy system. It, it's you have three things in training. You have volume, you have intensity, and you have frequency. Uh, pick two and go high with, and the other one's got to be down regulated. So if you want growth, especially growing for hypertrophy, you want to up your frequency and your volume, which means you're going to have to down regulate your intensity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Speaking of intensity, I'm talking about weight on the bar. Yeah, 
Uh, mate, Paul Carter. Yeah, fascinating guy. Love his work. Um, so, look, some interesting principles there in terms of his own fat loss journey, Rodden, and how you might sort of apply that to the individual. Like for him, we've spoken about it many times in the show, calories in, calories out, the overall energy balance at the end of the day, blah, blah, blah. Yep. But for him, it's literally a matter of not only having the right energy balance, but having the right foods to make up that. And, and low GI yeah, carbohydrates was, was critical for him. It was interesting. It goes a little against what... Uh what the research says but for him in the trenches that's what works and I guess uh, that's why you and I like to mix with hard science what actually the studies are showing and then what we've actually seen in the trenches meet someone in the middle so we'll uh, tune in for part two with Paul Carter on the next episode and we'll go a bit more into the the psychology of of strength training and uh, what are some limiting factors for building strength Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. hypertrophy as well so uh, looking forward to that one Yep, and we uh, had the big, the big fella Dan was in there. Dan Garner with his fats. Uh, we'll have one more segment for him on this base nutrition series. We're going to look at the remaining macronutrients next week. Yep. So, uh, so water, water, fiber, fiber alcohol. alcohol. Yep, yep. yep. All that kind of stuff. Our listeners will be your your cans ears pricked up. Alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> not now. Not now, Cam. Uh, so that so has that. been another show. And uh, also, yeah, mate, this year getting Paul Carter tippy toes. and Tippy Toes coming out. Big That'd one. be great. Yep. Exciting. Uh, send us an email, guys, if you'd like any questions answered or have any recommendations for what we should do. Podcast at iconph.com.au. Very good. Done.